This week on Tech Radio, we have some eye-popping tech for you. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 973. On the show today, we're chatting with Susan Levy from UCD about trusting AI. And we also have news on brand new toys from Apple and Samsung, plus a neat new use for smartphones. Let's go. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, with us as always. Niall, big week. Uh, Apple WWDC was on Monday, so we're not really going to tell anybody anything they didn't know, but I'm interested in your opinion on what you thought of the whole thing. Well, I mean, it's on all, all week, but the, the announcements were were made on Monday. So, yeah, a lot, mm. a lot of it is old news at, at this stage. Um I had an interesting experience in that despite my best efforts, I didn't get to see it live. So I didn't get the full, you know, that full Apple experience. And, mm. you know, Google set standard. They had people in an, in an amphitheater uh, and they got they got the cheering back. Uh, you saw this live. So what did we get from Apple? What we got from Apple was a two-hour pre-recorded movie, essentially, all right, because that's how they did it. But it seemed to be, uh, watching all the feeds and stuff like that, that there was a big screen outside the building, right, with loads of journalists and people Uh at it and big speakers and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Do do you know they they did did that? that? This was like the fan zone. In a in a football exactly. match or something like that. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Like it was so funny. And then the uh, other thing that really, really made the entire experience fun for me was that uh, my wife, Mrs. Dusty, uh, was in the room at the same time as watching it. Right, mm-hmm. and literally after ten minutes, she started parroting <laughs> Apple speak. That's awesome. I can't I can't wait to see what you're going to create with that. Like she's literally just going, "Oh my god, this is bull." Yeah, <laughs> and we just spent the next hour and a half. Do you know just what? If you were to push into, like, you, know? you know, give me uh, an Apple presentation or give me an essay in the style of mm. an Apple presentation into ChatGPT. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. Anyway, listen, I'm I'm not going to knock Apple because, I mean, it it did look amazing and they did announce some absolutely super technology. And I think the big one, and I had to laugh at Tim uh, because Tim took a Steve Jobs old phrase and uh, at the end of the presentation he went, but there is one more thing. And it's kind of like, uh, doesn't quite work with you, Tim. But anyways, <laughs> all right. Um, but anyway, he did it and he announced the Vision Pro. And the Vision Pro is essentially their new visual headset, headset um, which looks... I don't know. I'm I'm lost between amazing and creepy. All right, it is amazing technology. It's a headset like we've seen with a, a artificial um, uh, or augmented reality and stuff that Samsung has done in the past before. The image quality, I would imagine, is absolutely stunning. What they've done that's different is they've made it look like a pair of ski goggles. Is the best way that I can I can describe it. 
and the ski goggles has got cameras which looks out on the world. So you're not just isolated within the headset. The headset is able to show you either just what's on the computer or what that, that side of things, or it can meld in the image from outside and what's happening in the room around you at the yeah. same time. So you could actually look at the room with icons for various programs just kind of superimposed on it. Mm. Yeah, a really interesting idea. Um, also, I mean, the technology that they have. I mean, you'll sign into things with your eyes. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Because the cameras are so close there. Um, I thought it was interesting that because we were all kind of expecting this to be a bit of a gaming headset or that you could use it as a gaming headset because of all of the other headsets up until now have been. And they are awesome for games because you get completely immersed in it. But... The Vision Pro that Apple announced has no controller. Mm-hmm. So in one hand, you're in one hand, pardon the pun, you're literally mm-hmm. controlling it with hand gestures. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you'll pinch this or you'll move your hand in a certain way. And that is what you control what's happening on the screen, just with your hands, no controller. But for games, I don't know if that would work, you know? Um, kind of the one thing that I thought about it when I was looking at it is it looks... It looks amazing. I'd love to have a go at it, right? I love the idea of it, but it's still very weighty on your face, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, I think this would be amazing in uh, aeroplanes. So if you're on a long haul flight or something like that for 12 hours, you can just slip this on and watch a movie and it'll be like you're in kind of, you know, a multiplex or something like that. From that point of view, I think it is a great use. The rest of it, I'm not sure. And that kind of, there was two big things uh, about it. One was the price tag, three and a half grand. And I'm not really kind of worried about that because I think this is more a proof of concept or introducing something into the market and, you know, whatever, in Mm -hmm. 10 years time, there'll be 350 quid. Who knows? My problem with the Vision Pro, Nile, is that I can't figure out what problem it's fixing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I can, you can see it and you'd be like, I can understand what problem it's fixing for a VR headset. I don't know if this is the VR headset that I actually want to buy. If you see where I'm coming from. Like there was an awful lot of moments in the Vision Pro presentation where I was I was doing that sort of the getting the heist gang together moment, you know, or mm. uh, I don't know if you've seen the Rick and Morty episode where he's assembling a, a heist crew to get into a convention for heist crews. Um, but, you know, Rick will do something and and the guy will go, you son of a bitch. And this was that moment for me. It's like, oh, Apple, you son of a bitch. You've made me want this. You've made me see what this does. Um that, oh, I hated Apple for that because what they've done is they've created a blended reality headset. So it will impose things on, you know, regular, the regular world, if you will, mm-hmm. outside us, like Google tried with Google Glass and failed. Uh, and of course, you've got the the internalized virtual world as well, um, which, you know, the likes of Oculus, Magic Leap, um, uh, well, to lesser extent, magically, but certainly Oculus has been sort of the main player, HTC as well. Um, I suppose with every generation, Oculus is getting more and more accessible, uh, which is fine. Um, but it just hasn't found that place in the popular consciousness because mm. the metaverse has failed. 
basically. Um, it just uh, people aren't interested in it, uh, except yeah. for marketers. Now, what Apple have done is they've created a device and they've done exactly what they did with the iPhone, which was a genius move. It ju- they just said, OK, developers, of which they've got thousands uh, locked into the Apple ecosystem that actually want to develop uh, apps for Apple products. Uh, here's something new. Go play with it. You know, yeah, it's going to cost you three and a half grand. If you have a good app, you're going to make multiples of that back. This is this is playtime for you mm. guys. You know, and the problem they solved that just <clears throat> hated them for it because they did it. This was the issue of looking like you are so immersed in whatever virtual world you're in that you are useless to any other human being in the area. Somebody could be sitting beside you. It doesn't matter, right? All the headsets that we're used to seeing are completely enclosed. Now, Apple have done this dual camera setup and we actually had something quite similar when we had a a studio back in the day. We had a large screen, we had a webcam. In the other room, we had another large screen so we could see what was happening you know, in the other room without having to knock through a wall to make it happen, right? And that's what Apple have done with this headset, meaning it works just as well at AR, at VR. And when somebody comes in, you don't have to take it off. You can look at them and they will see your eyes. They will see, you know, you're responding to them. You don't have to take the thing off. You can still do what you want. And... I hate that they solve that so, problem. So basically what you're saying is when you were referring to the TV guys uh, that I want this, you've seen the Vision Pro and you've went, I want this. They made me want it, Dusty. Shocking. They did make me want something, but I don't think quite enough. The MacBook Air 15 inch, which we were all expecting. So it was no real surprise. It's the first thing that they uh, came out with. Uh, it's bigger. It's slim. Brilliant screen. Amazing battery life because it's that much bigger and stuff like that. Um, my, my only thing is it's got the M2 processor. Um, my only thing is the price. The pr- it's 1600 euro. That's yeah. a lot. For a 15-inch laptop. Well, it is a lot, right? And here's my thing, right? And this is why I wouldn't buy it, okay? It's got the M2 processor in it, which is good. I said last week on the show, listen back to double check if you want. I said, if there's anything less than 16 gigs in that, it's a joke. Starts at eight gigs, all right? 1,650 euro for eight gigs of RAM. Are you taking the mick? Uh, And then also, it's quite a small hard drive. It's uh, only 256. Whereas... If you go for the Dell XPS 15, all right, which is the other media darling at the moment, all right, Mm -hmm. same price, Mm. 1650, all right. But it has an i7 processor, which is as good as the M2 or certainly almost as good as the M2. But it comes with the 16 gigs of RAM and it comes with 512 uh, SSD. And those two things, I think, would push the i7 to being faster than the M2 with 8 gigs of RAM. Okay, that's... And then also, oh, one other thing. One One more thing. (laughs) Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, You can upgrade the Dell XPS. Mm, Yeah. 
Okay. You can't upgrade the Mac. If you want to put in more RAM, absolutely, sir, no problem. You want to put in a terabyte hard drive? Absolutely, sir, no problem. It'll cost you. Well, it'll cost you, but I you mean, can Apple, do it you can with the Dell XPS. Yeah. It will just yes, cost you. Yes, but it's that ridiculous joke of it's mm. 230 euro. What would you like, sir? Would you like more RAM? That's 230 euro. Oh, you'd like a double zero hard disk size? That's 230 euro. Oh, you'd like a, a spare power plug? That's 230 euro. They seem to just have that number in, the, in, in their head. I'm not paying. I'm looking at if I want to upgrade that machine to what I want, all right, I want 16 gigs of RAM and I want at least a 512 uh, uh, gig uh, SSD in it. All right. That's going to cost me 460 quid on top of the 1649. All right. So you're looking at two grand for a half decent laptop. As I say, Dell XPS, I think, uh, absolutely matches it and it's easier to use and da 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 da. But the only thing is it doesn't run Mac OS. Yeah. Okay. Right. Perfectly valid points. Uh, perfectly valid points. Uh, however, let's look at Macland as its own, you know, its own place in the multiverse. It's its own universe okay. in the multiverse. There is no DC here. This is this is pure Marvel territory. <laughs> right? Go on. Um, the MacBook Pro starts at roughly twice the price as the 15-inch MacBook Air. Right? Mm-hmm. Again. If you can afford this product, you don't, if you can't afford this product, you don't need it, right? Mm. If you can't afford the Vision Pro, get Pro in the title, you know, yeah, you don't need it, right? This is for the developers, the guys who will make the second generation, the third generation, fourth generation, as you said, progressively more affordable, right? Yeah. Now, the MacBook Pro uh, which uh, which comes in 14 and 16 inch screens. Again, a very subtle differentiator, but uh, will cost you twice as much as the Air. Um, and you know what? If you don't need to spend three grand on a laptop, well, guess what? The pros aren't for you. This is this doesn't. I've said it before. Put pro at the end of something, and it plays to that masculine energy of wanting to be on the cutting Arr, edge of something. Exactly. I am yeah. man. Yeah. I need pro. Yeah. I mean, when I when I bought my first um, Mac, I gravitated straight away to the pro because I thought, you know, it's gonna have, it's gonna be beefier. It's gonna have a longer shelf life. It's gonna be, you know, X Y Z. If you buy a pro model of Apple anything, it mm. is not gonna last as long as you think it will. I mean, uh, I have, um, and this, I, I know, I, this is something I, I, we, we can mention uh, with the new iOS and iPad OS yeah. in particular, um, which are just these ticking clocks these days. And it shows what Apple thinks should be the lifespan of their devices because they keep updating the software, which they see as being synonymous with the hardware. Problem territory. Well, that is the problem, right? I am shifting off uh, a MacBook Air, which I I got. Actually, it's nearly 10 years old, right? It's 2014. Uh, Now, let me just compliment and praise Apple to high heaven, all right? Mm -hmm. This MacBook Air that I have from 2014 still works very well. Yeah. It still looks great. Mm -hmm. It's still very clean. Um, Everything. It looks like a brand new laptop. After Mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of eight or nine years, it's fantastic. And it it does the job. It's a little slow. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. But... The problem, I can't shift it, all right, because I can't upgrade to a modern Mac OS version because they don't support it with their OS anymore. There you and go. And that has 
killed the value of the hard. Even though the hardware mm. is actually fine, because it won't work with the more modern software, nobody wants it. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So I, if that, you buy, that's what I find with Mac, Mac stuff. If you buy an iPhone, iPhone being their, you know, flagship product, let's be, let's be mm. open about this, you will get five years, five years out of an iPhone. Max. And, and the only thing that will happen is that they will have upgraded the software mm. so much that your iPhone uh, that either won't work, it will slow you down. Out. It, it pushes does, yeah, you out. You know? um, and so that's they, where it's... They clearly think whatever you buy off them, it'll have a five-year lifespan. That's yeah, their there sweet so, spot. Just remember that you're paying €200 Euro per year. Mm, yeah. Yeah. All right, for that brand new phone that you have in, in your thing. Uh, speaking of pro stuff, because I think that's a that's an interesting point that you made. I, I wasn't really going to talk about the Mac Pro because mm. I love the old cheese graters, all right? Mm. I've no need for them uh, these days. But man, that machine, right? I looked it up. It's, it's, it's the latest cheese grater mm-hmm. and it's got uh, an M2 Ultra, all mm-hmm. right, which is the double, 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 double M2. Uh, it's got 64 gigs of RAM. Hallelujah. It's got a one terabyte uh, uh, SSD in it, which is fantastic. It starts at, take a guess. Oh, I mean, this is this is the ultra level. Mm. This is what they're using yeah, in the labs. I, I used um, to buy these and we would kit them out for maybe 1500 two grand or whatever for studios running Pro Tools and, and whatever. What do you reckon they are today? Five grand? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. 8,500 euro. There is a Teaser. personal computer on the market yeah. that you can spend <laughs> that much on. <laughs> Off the That's website. That's what it starts at. That's what it starts at. If you want to put some serious stuff into it, I mean, anyway, ridiculous. Other things that happen at Mac Air or the Apple WWDC, just very quickly. Highlight for me, right? Yeah. The complete opposite of what we've been talking about was the highlight of WWDC for me, all right? Okay. And they've come up with a system, okay, so that when you turn your iPhone on its side, it turns into a 10-year alarm clock. How did they do that, Dusty? It's amazing, isn't it? You just turn it on its side and it shows the time in big numbers. Wow. wow. <laughs> but wow. actually, do you know what? That's that's a funny thing. that They had loads of these little kind of, they were refinements, I would say. The kind of thing you kind of, oh, that's neat. That's neat. Now, yeah. no, no one person could keep up with all of them, but there will be a use that various people will have, you know, with the Apple Watch and all that kind of stuff. But I just thought turning your 1,000 euro smartphone into a 10 euro alarm clock was just genius. Yeah. Also, well, can another, I mention, can I give a shout yeah. out to yes. what they've done with the Apple TV? Um, they, You can now, if you lose your iPhone, you can use Siri through your Apple TV to find out where it is. Little things like that. Little uh, things speaking, like that. Speaking of Apple TV, and I think this is genius, if you have Apple TV in your big screen, all right, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can connect your iPhone to Apple TV and use it as FaceTime. So the phone is sitting in front of the TV acting as your camera and the TV is acting as your screen and you're able to chat with people in, in full glorious HD, whatever happens. I just thought that was genius. It's it's kind of like you're going... Why didn't they do this years ago? Like, you know, um, yeah. what else have we got? Mac Studio, brrr, whatever. It's like well, a I large mean, the Mac, Mac Studio Mini. is a very good machine. It is. It's a great machine, actually, but it's two and a half grand. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it's got the M2 Max. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, would you, would you use it? Like to run a business <laughs> off, to run a media business off? 
If I was doing a lot more um, video editing, that's probably what I would use. It would be the equivalent of the cheese grater that we used years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I would probably, and then the great thing about it is you can just have that, you, you get three or four or five of them or whatever, and you just pop them on people's desks and off you go. So uh, easy enough. Oh, important, um, uh, important side mm. note, really. Uh, all of the Macs now have left the, have left Intel. So they're all mm-hmm. on Apple Silicon now. Um, do you, it's, it's the end of an era. Uh, the, you know, the last portion of which was defined by only one model being left with it, only one holdout. Um, so I guess it's almost like, you know, a generation comes out and it's sort of a proof of concept. And then eventually that innovation filters up the line. Uh, and we've, we finally got there, um, with the, uh, with the Mac pro fine. True, true. Uh, okay. Everything, everything comes into line. Sunrise, mm-hmm. sunset. To wrap up on this, there was one thing I wish they hadn't included and there was one thing that they didn't include that I was very surprised, Mm -hmm. right? The one thing I wish they hadn't included is that Craig is just losing the run of himself, all right? There was one point where he is standing there giving his presentation and he goes, let me show you on a MacBook. And he literally put his hand out and a MacBook magically flew into his hand like Harry Potter. Oh, no. Oh, I, I just went, that's just, you know, not right. And then five minutes later... Craig is dressed up in a leather jacket with a, a an enormous electric guitar with like three guitars in one uh, playing. I don't know what it was. ACDC like, or I, mean, somebody, I just went. Somebody came up with that in a meeting and like a bunch yeah. of people thought that was a good idea. No, no, no. Do you know who came up with that in a meeting? Ooh. Craig came up with that in a meeting <laughs> and nobody said, no, Craig, don't do it. The one thing, the one thing that they didn't include, and this is amazing in 2023. Mm. Okay. AI. Not a mention of AI in the entire Apple presentation. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Given that everybody else is talking it. about generative AI, but given that our interview our interviewee later on mm-hmm. is talking about gener- generative AI. And yep. possibly coming from a not dissimilar um perspective in that Apple will want to do, or Apple do want to do AI their way, right? Mm. It will be Siri 2.0. It will be on brand. It will be lovely to interact with. It will be more accurate. It will, you know, X, Y, Z. We we have a rough idea of at least how Apple's AI, if and when they come up with one, you know, will make us feel. And that's what they're looking to nail. How do you make people feel mm. about this project, about this product? Because everybody is so wrapped up in the uh, magic, I'm using inverted commas, of ChatGPT and its limitations that I think Apple have probably done the right thing and they're just going, look at all our shiny stuff over here. Yeah. Remember that 15 inch laptop you want, you've wanted for years? Well, now you can actually afford it. Um, here you yeah. go. Um yeah, they're sitting when, back and they're sitting back and they're just chilling. See what everybody else does and they will do what Apple does best. They will come out with a really refined AI product or assistant or whatever. Yeah. That'll be fun. Um, and then, <laughs> a funny thought about Apple because we're always comparing Apple and Microsoft and Google. Uh, this is kind of not really related, but it is um, because I'm looking at online storage and cloud and companies and their reputations and all that kind of stuff, right? Sure. And... <laughs> 
I figured, right? Microsoft are the kind of company who'll keep all your files safe. But if the police come knocking on the door, chances are they'll probably give the police your files, all right? Mm. Um, Google, don't wait for the police. They'll just dip in and steal all your data anyway, all right? All <laughs> what right? do you want? We're using Apple. it anyway. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. And then Apple are the only ones who'll kind of go, no, you know what? Boom, private. So I kind of try to weigh up the differences between the three yeah. of them. That's well, you're being a little bit unfair to Google. Uh, Google's whole I thing am. is, you know, it's portable. Apple sidestepped this thing by saying all the files are on the device. Nothing to do with us. That's it. Sorry. Um, which, which, you know, that's going to be a big problem for them with generative AI because they will want something that is constantly learning, uh, but they have no vector by design mm. to keep it learning. Um Oh, anyway, listen, uh, we're almost out of time on news Two uh, super, super quick things for you. Um, uh, Samsung, Samsung are going to do something they have never done before. OK. Oh, create um, a folding phone people want. Uh, <laughs> right. They're going to. Yes. You're so, do you know what? Saucer of milk for Mr. Kitson, please. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Coming in July. Coming coming in July, okay, uh, they, they are um, going to uh, announce a new Galaxy Z Flip 5, the Galaxy Z Fold 5. There's all kinds of rumours on the internet about what it's going to be, but it's coming in July. But for the first time ever, the entire presentation will be made in Seoul, yeah. their hometown. They have never done a Samsung unpacked event in their home city before. So this will be the first time. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting uh, that popped up today was uh, skin cancer. You know, the good weather we've been having um, has just been amazing. So not that we really worry about slapping on loads of sun cream lotion or, or whatever happens to be here because it's like, you know, well, why would you bother? It's so it doesn't, the sun doesn't shine that often. Mm. But uh, melanoma is a thing. Um, and they have come out with a special lens that you can put onto a smartphone that will take a picture of a mole or some kind of discrepancy that's on your skin, all right? The doctor's special lens, so a doctor would use it, but a doctor would just use it with a regular smartphone. And that super duper lens can take a, I think, a very, very close-up photograph of your mole, sends it to a consultant who can examine it. Wow. All right. And then come back with, actually, you should come in and see us or, eh, you're grand. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's kind of, the technology is a little bit like that. It's kind of like, it's grand. But the other thing is just the speed. Do you know what I mean? Instead of like a consultant having to sit there and go, hello, welcome in, sit down, take your shirt off, let's have a look at it, da-da-da-da, okay, off you go, boom. He can literally just... It's it'd be sorry. All I can think of is the consultant sitting there, like Tinder, swiping. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. I see you. Okay, I see you. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I'll see you. <laughs> that kind of a way. So, uh, so there you go. Anyway, a, a nice little. It just proves that you know when they say there's an app for that, mm. they really mean so it. So, how do you how do you get this? Uh, they, they're saying this is the kind of thing that they'll give to doctors. I think what it is is that it's a macro lens that just slides onto your smartphone and then there's an app and you take a picture and, uh, and said, oh, I don't think this, there's no big mystery or any new right. tech or anything like that in it. But it's just, it's a good application of the tech more than anything else. So there we go. Right. Listen, that is it. Lo- loads of stuff there from Apple. I think overall uh, we were we were quite impressed with yeah, Apple, so. but we're yeah. not buying Okay, there you go. All right, listen, uh, all the news, uh, that is news, as always, we'll keep you up to date on our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. 
Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. One of the challenges of artificial intelligence is figuring out the cultural implications of trusting so much of our lives to technology that we don't really fully understand just yet. Susan Levy is an assistant professor in the School of Information and Communication at UCD. And she had a chat with Niall Kitson during the week about how making better AI is more than a matter of just code. Susan, you've had a, an interesting, I suppose, intellectual journey to date. You started off in the arts and humanities uh, and you've moved over to the sciences, one area where you're not always looking for you know, right answers, if you will, in inverted commas, to another area where you're constantly seeking right answers. So how does that mental shift work for you? Well, I started in artificial intelligence literally in the last century, in 1999. And I came directly to that from English and philosophy uh, as as an undergraduate. Um, And I guess back then, AI was totally different. Like it was not, it, it was all about exploring. It was all about coming up with questions. And it was really exploratory phase of the research. So it wasn't nearly yet at that phase where you're looking at exact right or wrong answers. It was fun and it was exploring. And I guess um, I've kind of continued in that vein. Um, so my research, although it would be in AI, uh, PhD in computer science, often I end up with more questions than answers, to be honest. So I uh, very much carry that humanities, social science uh, viewpoint uh, to my work in, in AI. Yeah, I think you were sort of uh, going to college during that very interesting period where cognitive science very, very kind of had very little to do with actual technology and was more to do with philosophy, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, uh, I studied philosophy in UCD. And while I was uh, graduating, Maria Bagramian had began, was beginning this cognitive science master's and she was my hero in the philosophy department. And it sounded amazing. Um, and I was going to do it, but the years just didn't align. Um, it wasn't becoming available when I wanted to do it. So that's why I ended up to, uh, going to Edinburgh University and studying artificial intelligence, which is not the same, but very much linked, very much in that area. Yeah. And uh, again, I suppose a very different, uh, very different looking field in Edinburgh than in, than in Dublin then. Yeah, artificial intelligence was really just taking off then. It was very different. Like when I studied it, there was people from philosophy, music, um, literature, maths, uh, education, you know, along with people from computer science. There there was people from linguistics. There was every single discipline was represented in the master's I did. And and it was a quite a small cohort. and it was fascinating. It was such fun. Um, it was really back to that kind of original, um, let's try and simulate human intelligence in, in all of its kind of aspects. Um, but really, there wasn't much we could do when you compare it to what, what's, uh, uh, where it's at now. It was very much an um, exploratory phase. It was afterwards, you know, when data and machine learning combined you know the the internet was just starting to really take off at that time so there wasn't the huge data sets um so that 
that changed everything um, certainly after my time in Edinburgh. So let's uh, fast forward then to your current work and insight on what you're having a look at. Now, you absolutely have not forsaken sort of that, that previous experience in cognitive science, but you've managed to augment it with more contemporary technologies. So tell us what you're working on at the moment. At the moment, we're, I'm working on, um, I guess, to, to, to put it a bit of context, right? So my PhD, I, I, I did a, a master's um, in gender and women's studies in Trinity. Uh, that was after a decade of working in investment banking. And um, I combined AI and gender studies because AI was the interest and gender studies was a real, you know, driving force and passion, um, gender equality. Um, so I combined those two things as, um, in a PhD because machine learning is really good at finding bias. So if you have a big data set, I could use machine learning to find biases um, and gender bias in large uh, uh, data sets. But then I realized that machine learning was being used and put into systems and learning from data and I knew how good it was at learning biases and the danger of bias being perpetuated um, throughout society in these AI by these AI systems. So my work was on uh, my, I, I focused on a text. So it was on taking large data sets that would be used to train these uh, machine learning algorithms and developing techniques to mitigate biases um, and taking taking biases out of those uh, language models. So that's one area. I'm also working, um, collaborating with um, DCU on biases in computer vision. And it's very much bringing that social science aspect to those techniques and methods to make fair uh, machine learning models in computer vision and, um, and also language. And then another area I'm beginning to work in is... Um, ethics of recommender systems. Um, so how do you build recommender systems within an ethical framework? Like we're, we know they're so influential in society. Really, really probably the most widely used AI technique um, and they carry with them serious risks. So I'm looking at uh, starting off new projects and building a team to look at that. And when you combine recommender systems and the biases and problems with large language models were into a whole new era that is is quite mind blowing in in um, the potential for risk. So, you know, as long as I've been dealing with AI, it has never kept me awake at night. Until now, I think we're into um, we're into a really, I think, dangerous phase with artificial intelligence, and I think the EU is doing a brilliant job in um, attempting to um, regulate this. I think there are some you know, very famous examples of AI going wrong uh, in that sort of uh, text mining or, or recommender system uh, uh, area, I suppose, one of which was Amazon's horrible experience with uh, human resources and the other being contemporary problems with um, skin color and facial recognition and um, both of which hugely problematic and revealing biases inherent uh, in, not so much in data but in our systems for gathering them or are indicative of injustices and inequalities in society. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's that's um, two two important cases, and they really kicked off a lot of research in that area in addressing biases and developing techniques to ensure AI is is fair. And also, there's a a big focus on you know identifying that, those high risk areas like like recruitment, like you mentioned, um, like facial recognition technologies and making sure those systems are audited and tested to ensure that they are fair because um, the consequences of, you know, thing, areas like recruitment, facial recognition technologies, the, the consequences of them treating people differently and um, being more accurate for some and less accurate for so others and uh, biased against certain groups really undermines um, fundamental human rights. Sort of that that issue of bias again raises an awful lot of questions about sort of the underpinnings of data, or I, I suppose a philosophical uh, approach to data as you know either a commodity or or perhaps something that informs our lives without us very often knowing. In your work with recommender systems, how I, I suppose bad or how large a problem is this? I and just just to, I'm really only kicking off this work. Um, working with Wu Hai Zhang, who's a who's a, um, a collaborator in um, SFI Insight Center. Um, um, let me start that again. Um, just to put this in context. I'm I'm really only beginning this project. I'm collaborating with Wu Hai Dong, whose uh, work is in recommender systems. So I'm bringing the kind of ethical framework and social science side, and he is definitely the technical side. Um, the problem I see it is that these algorithms go against a lot of the principles that we're trying to work towards within society. So these are, are algorithms by design. Uh, look at data, look at profiling, looking at look at beha- online behavior, and they categorize and classify people into different groups, and they treat them differently based on what attributes they think they have. And I, I think that's a fundamental problem. And, th- and the other problem is we don't know how they do it. We don't. Well, there's no transparency or oversight, and there's particularly um, an issue in the context of vulnerable groups. When you think of younger people. Um, who are on platforms and treat it's the only in, in most areas of their lives um, they're treated as children except online um, and they're classified and categorized and treated differently um, and nobody knows what kind of stuff um, these groups are receiving online through recommender systems and um, algorithms are deciding what to send them basically and um, and I think that has real risk because there's more and more research showing that recommender algorithms, what you get sent on Instagram, Facebook, um, Snapchat, Discovery, you know, all of these, the, the kind of content you get has a real influence on your behavior and your opinions. Um, and the research is accumulating on that. So we we. They're hugely uh, influential. There are vulnerable groups and we have no oversight into what's going on. Um, and I think they fundamentally go against a lot of the principles that we're working towards, principles of, of equality and people, you know, um, being treated equally. 
You mentioned there earlier some of the work that the EU is doing uh, on the Artificial Intelligence Act. It sounds like a, a lot of what's happening at EU level is speaking to those points, particularly on the issue of transparency. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the EU is doing an a lot in this area. And just yesterday, the AI Act was voted through and there's a lot of kind of last minute amendments to really try and address the dramatic change that has happened in the last, say, year around foundation models, um, as they're called, like large scale language models. Um, And it is trying to address some of those issues of transparency. So it takes kind of what the EU views as high-risk systems. And by high-risk, they mean systems that, if they're not ethical, can really undermine people's fundamental human rights um, and therefore undermine democracies. So it's taken those systems and put some obligations on them, obligations around transparency and accountability. Um, You have to test your system for biases. You have to um, be audited, those kind of um, obligations. Um, And the changes that it's it's made quite rapidly um, about, uh, uh, um, quite rapidly are uh, like flagging high, uh, uh, or sorry, the changes, excuse me though, the changes it's made in the last um, short while have been, for example, to identify recommender algorithms as high risk, particularly in the context of um, where political advertising and um, where democracy could be undermined. And also it has identified foundation models, those large scale language models that can generate con- content as requiring um has uh, tra- having transparency obligations. So that, uh, like, we'll see how it works through. It'll it'll end up being discussed in the doll probably in the next 12 to 24 months. And um, we'll see how those, uh, this legislation ends up, um, a lot of this, how it's going to be implemented has to be worked through. But it's certainly, I think, ambitious and goes in the right direction um, in terms of protecting people from the risks of artificial intelligence. Just extending that interest you have uh, in equality and diversity then, um, has this extended to your work or your interest beyond AI uh, towards the larger tech community? Or is this something you're keeping within sort of your, your sphere of research? It it links back to the, the risks, I guess. So when you, as and it underlines a lot of my work, to be honest. So when you think of the source of many of the issues um, that have come up with AI of bias and discrimination. A lot of it comes to comes back to the data that's trained on. It, it's trained on. So, um, for example, GPT or GPT two was one of the first big language models, and that was trained on data from Reddit. And I just don't think if all if the machine learning engineers were predominantly women, I don't know that they'd go to Reddit as a good source of a uh, text where we'd all be represented uh, fairly and unbiasedly. Um, I think maybe a different kind of uh, text would would have been chosen. So, so I, I think it's really, really important that women are involved at every stage, the design phase, the development, the uh, risk assessments, you know, all this new industry of auditing, um, designing what audits, what are the risks, 
um, women have to be there and have to be at the table on all levels, um, all levels in terms of um, power and um, access, yeah, power and ability to um, influence the design of these systems. So it's almost a, a, a case of, you know, uh, AI already learning the male voice, but now having to learn, you know, the, the female voice, you know, the, the experience then of uh, other cultures as well, that it's, it's not sort of, a, it's, it's not a mono voice. Yeah, like when you think about how global these systems are, and oftentimes they're developed out of, you know, one town uh, outside San Francisco, and you look at the kind of people who are involved in the design, the development, all the way through. But these systems are global. Um, they really um, aren't. There are there are some obvious issues with that. Um, when so, what happens? What what happens when you have something designed within one cultural context and it's put in in another? Um, you know what happens with these large scale language models, which are trained just on internet data. Um, and we know that that isn't a well-balanced uh, selection of um, representation or people or a well-balanced sample. It's just what happens to be on the internet. Um, so it's biased towards um, people with access to the internet who are able to upload stuff. Um, it uh, has a, a strong Western bias. Um, so there are issues that kind of what worldview gets perpetuated through these systems. Um, and I think that's just really important that you have people at the table who are, ability, who are able to spot those kinds of issues and address them um, and have the power to amplify how important they are. And that was Susan Levy, an assistant professor at the School of Information and Communication at UCD, chatting with Niall Kitson. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Before we go, we have time for just one more thing. Here's Steve. Hi, this is Steve podcasting live from heaven. Tim, if you're listening, I'm not happy you stole my one more thing line. (laughs) Anyway, here are some more stories on Tech Central we didn't have time for on the podcast today, including why the Digital Operational Resilience Act should be welcomed. Spotify has laid off more staff. And OpenAI says it has found a way to cut down on chat GPT hallucinations. You'll find all of that on our website at techcentral.ie right now. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra, or you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye.